Hi, welcome to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Joan Hogan, and Rick Homer, Prairie Doc, is out of town, so I'm happy to welcome Jill Cruz, a family medicine physician with the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Hi, Jill. Glad to have you with us today. Hi, thanks for having me on the show. Well, it's always fun when you're here, and I do enjoy uh, visiting with you. It's wonderful to have Dr. Home, but also you get a little different perspective from another physician. You're both practicing medicine, but um, your view on different things can be different. So... We'll see what comes down. I know tomorrow night, Dr. Holm will be in town, and he is doing a live show. His new series started a couple weeks ago. They're all being produced live, and this one tomorrow night will be talking about cancer, common and uncommon types of cancer, and what to do about them. He's as his guests are Mark Huber, who is a doctor, and Benjamin Solomon, another doctor. Both of them are with the Avera Medical Group, in Sioux Falls. And before we talk about cancer, why don't you mention what you have found out about the storm that hit Sioux Falls today because you get a report from Avera and it did hit south near the hospital, correct? Yes, definitely. So it did, well, not Avera McKinnon. It hit the Avera Heart Hospital and Avera Behavioral Health Hospitals, which are south of the bypass. Right. So that's where it was. And definitely, it sounds like um, Avera Behavioral Health uh, was affected. Apparently, there was roof and window damage from a tornado. Uh, All the staff are safe. All the patients are safe. Um, There were two people who did have some injuries from that, but non-life-threatening, so they'll be... Well, that's uh, good. Good, yep. And a total of 33 patients were transferred to the main Avera McKinnon Hospital uh, when it was safe to... From the heart hospital. From the Behavioral Health Hospital. Oh, the Behavioral. All right. Yep, and the heart hospital also had damage to the lobby and windows. Again, all the patients are safe. Uh, But because of this, uh, North Central Heart Clinics, Avera Medical Group Midwest Psychiatry, Avera Medical Group University Psychiatry Associates, and Avera Sports Institute are going to be closed today so they can clean up from the storm. Well, if anyone is listening and and somehow didn't have the news on before this and was not aware that the tornado hit the south side of Sioux Falls, if you were thinking of going to Sioux Falls or had a doctor's appointment today, please check before you proceed. More than likely, your appointment might be changed. Well, the Avera McKinnon main campus is still open and operational, and all the other clinics are open and operational, as usual. So So you might be just fine. Doesn't hurt to check, but but you should be okay? Double check, yes. Okay. Well, I hope that helps anyone who may be thinking of a drive to Sioux Falls. Uh, I think I'd avoid Sioux Falls today myself, (laughs) but uh, I trust everyone will be okay there, and it's good to know that the hospital survived any damage that came their way. So at the outset, I started mentioning um, the talk tomorrow night on on South Dakota Public Television, Dr. Holmes' on-call program, and it's called Common and Uncommon Types of Cancer and What to Do About Them. When you say what to do about them, the first thing most average people, not medical, think of is chemotherapy. Has chemotherapy gone through a lot of changes over the years, or is it just you take the drugs and suffer through? No, chemotherapy is definitely changed a lot. Now, you'll get a much better answer on tomorrow's show with uh, Dr. Huber and Dr. Solomon since they are oncologists and they prescribe the medication. I've never prescribed chemotherapy since it's so highly specialized. Uh, but I know Avera is doing a lot of research on doing um testing to figure out what's the right type of chemotherapy for each individual patient because not all lung cancers are identical and so now we're testing to see how do we treat your cancer instead of how do we treat lung cancer so how do we treat your lung cancer instead of just a just blanket everyone with lung cancer gets yeah. these three same medications 
that's not necessarily what we're doing anymore. We're, we're doing specialized testing to figure out what's the best chemotherapy for you. Right. And, you know, we do see a difference because I know 40 years ago, if you heard someone was diagnosed with cancer, that's it. You're not going to, they're not going to be around much longer. Now it's a totally different situation for many, many cancers. They're very treatable. Would that be correct? Very treatable. But the thing with cancer is when is it found? So the earlier it's found, the more treatable it is. If you wait until it's spread to other sites in the body, then it's much more difficult because you're fighting a battle on multiple fronts. So early detection really is our key, and we're getting better at catching things earlier. So that's, I think, why we're having better success, better medications, more targeted treatments, and earlier detection. Okay, and with earlier detection, then I would guess you you would suggest most people have a yearly physical. A yearly physical is very good, so we can make sure that you are up to date on your screening tests. Uh, you know, screening, when we talk about the most common cancers, we're talking about uh, breast cancer for women, so am- annual mammograms uh, after age 50, and usually we start screening at age 40. Between 40 and 50, there's a little bit of debate about how frequent those mammograms need to be. Uh, Definitely, I tell my patients, if there's any family history of breast cancer at all, yearly mammograms, without a doubt. Uh, If there's no family history, discuss with your doctor. And some people can do every other year. Uh, Some people need to have it done yearly. So it's all about your risk um, stratification, your risk level, and um, your comfort with that risk level. So mammograms for women, uh, another very common cancer is colon cancer, which is why we talk about getting your screening colonoscopies. And again, very treatable if found early. Once it's late stage, it becomes much more challenging and difficult. Um, For men, prostate cancer, very common. Um, If a man lives long enough, he will have prostate cancer. It's just kind of the nature of the beast. Um, but the good news is the older you are when you get it, the more likely you are to die with it rather than from it. So, but again, we want to do screenings for prostate cancer and, and talk to your doctor about issues. You know, are you getting up to go to the bathroom multiple times at night? Are you having weakness with your stream, dribbling, you know, difficulties with urination? That can be signs of the prostate just being enlarged due to age, or it could be the start of prostate cancer. So you need to talk to your doctor to talk about screening tests and exams to um, make sure you're not at higher risk. Well, one thing I've noticed over the years is that women, probably because they're childbearing age, will often see a doctor every year. They just do. Uh, You can have men that don't go for 20 years. Is there any way we can encourage men to see a doctor more often? Uh, most men that I see in my practice that haven't been in for 20 years, either one, have a problem, or two, their wife made the appointment and drug their butt in. Yes. So if you love them and want to keep them around, make the appointment for them and drag their butt in. That's how I did it with Ed. Yeah, I, don't, I think it had been 30 years. Mm-hmm. And I finally said, you are, I've got an appointment. You're going. Yep. No. I said, yeah, you're going. And I know it saved his life. Mm-hmm. His blood pressure was so ridiculous. I don't know how he was standing, and neither did the doctor. But somehow mm-hmm. they got him through. And yep. But he would have been so much better off having gone to a doctor a lot sooner. But how do you tell these men? They don't listen, do they? 
<laughs> that's man. Well, we're we, gonna, we love him anyway. And Jay is standing there <laughs> just smiling away. Jay, we're going to let you take a break from us. We're, we'll be out. But before we leave, I would like to mention that you this is a call-driven program. We'd love your calls, any questions you might have. If you're out of the area, use 605 as the area code. If you're in the area, just call us at 692-1430, and we'll be back right after this. The Avera Medical Group Brookings wants you to know the benefits of breastfeeding. Did you know that breast milk has ideal nutrients for babies, contains important antibodies to fight viruses and bacteria, may reduce disease risk, promotes a healthy weight, and has positive effects on long-term brain development? Talk with your provider about the benefits of breastfeeding. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. This is Joan Hogan, and Dr. Holm is not here today, but instead we have Jill Cruz, who is a medical doctor with the Avira Medical Group Brookings, and I'm glad to have Jill with me. We began our discussion talking about cancer, and uh, the reason we did is there is going to be a program tomorrow night in South Dakota Public Television in which Dr. Holm will discuss cancer with two doctors from the Avira Medical Group Oncology and Hematology in Sioux Falls, Dr. Mark Huber and Dr. Benjamin Solomon. So we hope you do catch that show tomorrow evening. Now today we did have a question come in and it had to do with sarcoidosis. It's something I've never heard of, but when the question came in, Jill, of course, as a doctor, has heard of it. Can you? They wanted to know what treatments or what do you know about sarcoidosis? Well, sarcoidosis is one of those very difficult diseases to diagnose because there's no specific test for it. We call it a, a diagnosis of exclusion, which means you've tested for everything else and nothing else fits. So it has a constellation of many different symptoms, so it can affect different areas of the body. It can cause inflammation in the lungs, it can cause scarring in the lungs, it can cause skin rashes, it can cause uh, increased lymph nodes, it can cause uh, eye issues, dry eyes and eye problems, it can cause skin um, tightening. So it's, it's really a, a difficult thing because it can present in so many different ways and affect so many different areas of the body, um, and it can happen to anyone at really any time. Usually um, middle age, 20s to 50s are more likely to get it. it but it's not really common. But it, uh, yes, it? it's not no. very common. Uh, usually when we do find it, we send you to a um, rheumatologist or someone kind of specializes in autoimmune because we're not exactly sure what causes it, uh, but we do treat it with uh, prednisone and other steroids uh, to kind of tampen down the body's immune response and uh, basically kind of overreaction to uh, itself causing these issues. And there's, we don't know what causes it and we don't know how to cure it. Exactly. Sometimes it goes away on its own. Sometimes it remains chronic for years. So it, it's really a uh, frustrating condition for the patient and for the physician both. Well, when you mentioned that sometimes they'll, oftentimes prednisone will be used for the treatment, mm -hmm. prednisone is a form of steroid. And I'm just curious, I know steroids reduce inflammation, mm -hmm. but they're dangerous to take for long periods. Um, do you prescribe a lot of steroids, or how do you handle that, the well, concern? Well, <laughs> it's about time and, and dose. So with steroids, if you're taking something for two weeks, that's not to be as concerning as someone who's taken them for two years. So my own mother had uh, was diagnosed with lupus when I was in my 
I would say middle school um, age, and she was on extended steroids for several years and ended up having complications from that. So, you know, her doing that versus someone having it for two weeks, that you're not going to have the, the same problems. Um, so with long use, it does affect the bones, can cause osteoporosis, brittle bones. It can make it easier to have tendon ruptures. And my mother's had both of those issues. She had her Achilles tendon rupture and has because early, she had been on steroids, because she had been for, on so steroids for so long and, and had a very early osteoporosis. So uh, part of my interest in medicine was um, my lack of knowing what was going on with my mom. So you're going to cure her, right? I, I was, <laughs> well, and, and then I, I found out that uh, it, it's not uh, nearly as easy on the other side of the uh, stethoscope as I thought it would be. <laughs> That's like when my dad had arthritis. I always thought, well, by the time I'm that age, they'll have found a cure for arthritis. I have nothing to worry about. Take a look at my hands. <laughs> I have arthritic. I have arthritis, but I've been fortunate that it hasn't mm -hmm. been debilitating by any means. But so many of these uh, inflammatory things, like the sarcoidosis and lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. I mean, all, all of these autoimmune. When your body's attacking itself, it's they're all very difficult to diagnose. And again, constellation of symptoms that you need a, someone to be thinking of. And they need all the pieces of the puzzle. So um, when I talk to patients, I feel like I'm kind of a detective pulling out clues. And something that may, they may not think is relevant, relevant yeah. actually ends up being that one vital piece of information that all of a sudden changes where I'm thinking of in my giant decision tree that I'm, I'm constantly going through and, and um, revising and updating every time they tell me a new symptom or a new thing that they're um, dealing with. And that my job as a primary care physician is to think about every possible scenario when someone's telling me what's going on with them. That sounds a lot like Dr. Holm talking. I'll tell you, he, he always reminds me of the giant sleuth because mm -hmm. in internal medicine, you are trying to get all the clues so you can make a decent diagnosis. Yes. And that's not the easiest thing to do, is it? Mm -hmm. No. but it, it, It's the challenge of, of medicine, and I think that's why a lot of us like it. Mm -hmm. So Well, I know he enjoyed the challenge for years. Uh, we're going to take a break. We do appreciate the calls. Give us another call. Call in with any questions you might have at 692-1430, and we will return. Rabies is a virus that infects wildlife, especially bats, raccoons, skunks, and foxes in the U.S. It can spread to people and pets when they are bitten or scratched, causing fever, agitation, and death. Rabies is 100% preventable with post-exposure prophylaxis that includes rabies vaccine and medications to fight infection as long as people get the prophylactic medication before the symptoms starts. Understanding the risk of rabies and knowing what to do after contact with wildlife can save lives. If you have contact with a wild animal, talk with your primary care provider immediately so that post-prophylactic medication can be started as needed. This is brought to you by the Vera Medical Group Brookings, 697-9500. Hi, Joan Hogan here. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. As I mentioned at the outset, Dr. Holm is out of town today, but in his stead, we have Jill Cruz, who is a doctor at the Avira Medical Group Brookings, practicing internal medicine. 
and we just discussed uh, the practice of internal medicine is interesting because you really do have to look at the whole the whole person the whole body the whole thoughts everything going with them before you can make an accurate diagnosis yes very interesting very interesting we did have a caller who had a question because we were talking about cancer earlier and tough cancers and they were talking about a person who is near death so the question is can a near-death person who's taking no water or food and has not for a few weeks still be able to hear? I always assume yes. Because you I don't know for sure. You don't know for sure. I always assume yes. And I've had enough people tell me uh, that have recovered from near-death experiences that, yes, they could hear everything that was going on in the ICU. They heard the family talking about them. They heard the doctors talking about them. So... When I was on my ICU rotations as a, a student, I always did kind of a running commentary of what I was doing to the patient, whether they heard me or not. I wanted them to know what was going on. Well, so. that sounds good. And this question also has the comment of taking no food or water for a few weeks. Mm -hmm. Dr. Holm has commented on that before, that he thinks it's a uh, good way to die. Not good. What would be the right word? Um, uh, peaceful peaceful way to die. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I would agree with Dr. Holm. Uh, research has shown, you know, families get very uh, concerned about th they're not eating because food is such an integral part of our society. Food is how we come together and how we spend time together and, and show love and care for other patients. But when someone is going through the dying process, um, their need for food really goes away. Their, their sense of hunger and thirst goes away. So to force someone who doesn't want to eat to eat something just to make you feel better isn't doing them any favors. Um, and sometimes with medications they're on, especially if they're on strong pain medications, they may have nausea and may not want to eat. Uh, but really, as their body shuts down, the need goes down as well. So they're not suffering. Um, yeah, and if they say they want something, then you give it to them. By all means, yeah. if, give it to them. Okay. And the same with drink. You, they don't if they don't, just, you know, they we talk about good oral care and oral hygiene. So sometimes even just this, you know, chapstick on the lips, you know, moistening the mouth. We've got good uh, things that we can do for oral care to help and uh, prevent people from suffering and being in pain. And that's our biggest goal is to prevent suffering. Prevent suffering and pain. So please realize that more than likely that person is hearing you. So they may be honest and say what's going on. Okay, mm -hmm. we had another caller come in with an unusual thing I've never heard of. I, this woman said, I know of two people in Brookings with lichen sclerosis. Is that the correct That's pronunciation? That's the correct pronunciation, yes. It's supposed to be uncommon. Is it considered uncommon because women just live with it instead of seeking help? And what treatment would you suggest? Is it uncommon? I've never heard it, of it's it. It's listed as uncommon. I would say I don't see it that often but I have seen it several times in in my 11 years of practicing uh, it is very debilitating and yes a lot of women just put up with it and and don't say anything and if you're beyond the age where you're not getting pap smears and you're not getting a pelvic exam with your doctor we may not notice that so why don't you um, explain what it is so it's an inflammatory condition of the, usually the external genitalia it can be men as well uh, but it does affect women more and it causes this uh, itching burning pain it's a rash uh, where the skin looks either really pale and then it's got some red areas around the the outside and 
again, can cause lots of pain. And it does have a small risk of turning into cancer if not treated. Okay, and um, what is the usual <coughs> treatment for it? Uh, usual treatment is doing a very strong steroid cream. Again, it's uh, a cream. That it's a cream, yep. So with the creams, they stay more localized, so it's not going through the whole body. Uh, but usually, uh, the m most common one that's used is called clobetazole that you use twice a day for a month, and then once a day for a month, and then twice a week for a month, and then ho we hopefully check, and it hopefully it's clear by that time. Okay, and uh, this caller also mentioned that she had heard of a laser treatment <laughs> for this instead of the steroid. Do you know much about that? I don't know much about that. Uh, when we have people that aren't responding to the steroid or not doing well, I generally send them to a gyne gynecologist oncologist, so someone who specializes in female reproductive areas and cancers in that area. So not not as a typical gynecologist that you'd see here that delivers a baby, so, right. but a, a specialized, specialized yep, okay. gynoc that just deals with, with female issues. Okay. And they would be the one who would be able to uh, talk about that treatment because that's not something in the scope of practice for internal medicine or family medicine. <laughs> okay, so it's good we have specialists too. We're glad to have our yep. internal medicines, but specialists are important. Uh, one other thing that occurred to me, this is a pretty extreme condition, but there are other conditions that cause it's itching in this area in women too. W yes. What is that? So probably the most common one would be uh, a yeast infection or a yeast dermatitis. Um, similar like babies getting diaper rash, uh, adults can get it too. Any place that is warm, dark, and moist can get a yeast infection. So if you sweat in the area and then it's kind of trapped with uh, underwear and clothing, it's very easy to get that rash there. So, you know, really with rashes, I tell people I have to see them in order to diagnose them. So it's not something that can be done over the phone. Hey, doctor, just call in this cream for me and make it better. No, I really need to see so I can tell the difference between the lichen sclerosis versus and just a, a yeast I infection. Okay, and the yeast infection is pretty mild, and it's something that can be handled easily. With, again, with a cream, usually can yep. get cleared up okay. quite easily. Well, thank you. We are, again, going to take our final break. If you ha We appreciate these questions coming in. Thank you so much. Uh, give us a call if you'd like at 692-1430, and we will return. The Avera Medical Group Brookings wants you to know the benefits of breastfeeding. Did you know that breast milk has ideal nutrients for babies, contains important antibodies to fight viruses and bacteria, may reduce disease risk, promotes a healthy weight, and has positive effects on long-term brain development. Talk with your provider about the benefits of breastfeeding. Hi, welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. This is Joan Hogan and I have Jill Cruz in the studio with me. Dr. Holm will be back next week and actually if you miss him, you'll catch him tomorrow night on South Dakota Public Television at 7 o'clock. Dr. Cruz and I have been talking about a number of topics, but the one topic we didn't hit on was 9-11. Today is 9-11. My son was in Manhattan when that happened, and he was right across the street. So it was a very nerve-wracking day for our family. Uh, and then my son-in-law was in D.C. near the Pentagon. So we just spent that whole day oh. on the phone trying to see if people were living or not. And it was my granddaughter's second birthday. And when my son left for work in New York, he said, honey, I'll be home for your birthday. And they weren't sure if he was going to make it. But wow. he lived with concerns. We could see it for at least five years. He wasn't normal after that. You know, it was mm -hmm. really an unbelievable experience. But he lived. 
3,000 people plus died during that. Uh, the aftermath continues. Yes, definitely. And, uh, you know, I think everyone can remember where they were on that day and, and what was going on. And, you know, it's something that kind of defines that whole generation. Um, and definitely has affected people with uh, PTSD, which post-traumatic stress uh, disorder. So basically when you've been through a life-threatening situation like that would be, uh, definitely can af affect you with issues of hypervigilance where you're on, on edge and worried about you know, something else happening and having flashbacks and hard time with sleeping, memory. Now, a lot of times we think about it with uh, veterans, but definitely with any major um, event or natural disaster, storms, you know, 9-11, all of these can have people have PTSD. And that's definitely something they need to talk about if they have concerns with, with their doctors so we can help with therapy and treatment and you know, medications to help deal with those and unpack and process those emotions well that's you know you keep here i hear about ptsd but i'm not sure if people who suffer ptsd suffer the rest of their life or there really is hope and help there is hope uh, it's definitely difficult and um, it does take a long time and a concerted uh, plan where it's not just you know take these pills and you'll be better uh, definitely has to be a lot of time and patience and love and, and from family and support from family and counseling and all of this can help and you know depending on the degree again it, it's a continuum of scale so some people have more severe cases than others depending on what the trauma they were exposed to so uh, there's hope but it's again depending on how bad it is it may be a very long time to help and you'll never be back to the way you were before it changes your life so there's a new normal that you well learn. any trauma that mm -hmm. we face does affect us right. in any way you know whether it's minor or major and mm -hmm. of course 9-11 certainly was a major was trauma for our whole major. country and i think we're still reeling from it don't mm -hmm. you definitely you just look at what's happening in the world today and uh it's changed it changed the world 9-11 mm -hmm. not for the best no. No, not at all. Well, we had uh, one question that came in that was much lighter. Nothing to worry about. Well, <laughs> it, I guess it can be something to worry about. But heartburn. Heart, one person called in and said, I know this isn't important or that important, but I'm so sick of having heartburn. Why do people mm -hmm. have it and what can, what can be done? So heartburn is when acid from the stomach goes up into the esophagus or the tube that connects the back of the throat to your stomach. And there's a muscle that's supposed to keep the stomach closed and sometimes that muscle relaxes and things that can relax that muscle include caffeine and smoking so those are kind of the two biggest things so if you want to stop it uh, cut back on caffeine and definitely stop smoking because uh, that can all cause that to um, relax that muscle relax right? that muscle yeah okay and also you would like to do things that can help lower the amount of acid in the stomach in the first place so you know watching the that's where people talk about the spicy foods or acidic foods the tomatoes and and things that can you know, really flare that up or cause you know the stomach to be more acidic uh, the biggest treatments that we do for this now are the um, what are called proton pump inhibitors which are medications that uh, basically shut down the acid pumps in the stomach and have it the body make less acid to begin with so if there's less acid in there less that can go up in the back of the throat and, and cause that heartburn um, the other thing is, you know, trying not to eat big meals before you're laying down because when you're laying down, you don't have gravity keeping that acid in the stomach. It can. It makes sense. It can fold. It can yeah. kind of 
uh, go up easier. So the other thing we've had people do is sometimes put blocks underneath um, or bricks underneath the headboard of their bed to incline the bed a little bit or, or sit, sleep on kind of a wedge pillow that will kind of keep that up. And um, that can help with, again, using gravity to keep the acid down where it belongs. Uh, over long term, though, it is something I would say to discuss with your doctor uh, because those acid changes over time can affect the tissue in the esophagus and can make it change from a tissue lining that looks like esophagus to tissue lining that looks like stomach. And when you have stomach cells in a place that they don't belong, they're more likely to turn into cancer cells. So if someone has long-standing reflux or reflux that's not getting better, then sometimes we go down with the camera and look and do biopsies to make sure they don't have precancer cells called Barrett's esophagus. Ah. So it, 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 it it's more than just uh, you know, a little heart. A little heartburn. Take a pill. I'll be all right. Exactly. Yeah. So well, then if you have suffered that from that for a long time. We're not making light of it. You no. really should check with your doctor. You should. It's not just a little problem. Well, thanks, Dr. Cruz. Uh, we're just about out of time, but we do hope you've all enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program. As always, you can hear more from Dr. Holm online at prairiedoc.org, where you may also learn more about the exciting activities of the Healing Words Foundation. Thanks so much, Dr. Cruz, for joining me today. Thank you. And as Dr. Holm would say, stay healthy out there. Mm-hmm.